Savor 2011, coverage by Craft Beer Radio, from Saturday, June 4th. Educational Salon. It's okay to play with your food and beer with Flying Dog and Chef Brian Voltaggio. My name is Tom McCormick. I'm the president of the California Small Brewers Association. Anybody here from California? Nope. And I'm here on behalf of the Brewers Association, which is the national nonprofit trade association representing the over 1,700 now independently owned craft breweries here in the United States. And a huge number. And we have about 600 breweries in planning on our radar screen right now. Those are breweries that will likely open up over the next year or so. So that number will increase pretty dramatically uh, here soon. The Brewers Association is the uh, group that puts on this great event last night and tonight, Saber, and of course these salons as well. They also put on a uh, little beer festival in Denver that you might have heard about, the Great American Beer Festival. Has anyone been to that? Yeah, it's a big, big event. It's the largest ticketed beer festival in the country, held every fall. It's at the end of September this year. And you can find out more about that um, and all things craft beer by going to craftbeer.com. It's a great website that has information on beer, uh, pairing beer with food and beer styles and videos on different breweries, etc. It's a great site, craftbeer.com. And real quickly, I want to thank our sponsors uh, who made Savor possible last night and tonight. First one is all of you for coming here tonight. Also, the Ray's Beverage Group, Brewery Omagang, Dogfish Head, Craft Brewery, Samuel Adams, craftbeer.com, Allagash Brewing Company, Brooklyn Brewing, Flying Dog Ales, Full Sail Brewing Company, New Belgium Brewing Company, Rogue Ales, Saranac, Sierra Nevada, Victory Brewing Company, Crosby and Baker, Draft Magazine, GreatBrewers.com, and Oak Beverages. So thank you to all of our sponsors. Also, wanted to let you know that this uh, salon tonight, as well as all the salons tonight and last night, are being recorded. And you can uh, go to craftbeerradio.com and hear yourself. Uh, but if there's any of the salons that you kind of wanted to see but didn't get to or um, missed a part of this one that you want to rehear, you can go to craftbeerradio.com for a uh, recording of all the salons. Um, also, one little quick note on uh, the glassware. You have two glasses in front of you. And I think we're going to be trying, what, four different beers tonight? Um, so you can use those two glasses, and you also have the commemorative uh, little cup there. You can use that for water or for beers. And there's also a water pitcher uh, for drinking the water, but also for rinsing your glass in a spill bucket. You can just rinse it and pour it into that to reuse any one of those glasses. All right, I think if there was one salon, both last night and tonight, that I would have picked to attend, it would be this one. This is going to be a really, really good one. And one thing that's really unique, uh, I did this last year, and uh, this didn't happen last year, and I think it's the only one this year as well. All the food that you're sampling tonight is being cooked right up here in front of you. So um, that's pretty neat. And um, again, that's why it's a little warm in here. But I'm going to turn it over to uh, Ben Savage of Flying Dog Brewing Company. And he will introduce our celebrity chef. And we have the brewmaster from Flying Dog as well. And um, take it away. Great. Thanks, Tom. 
Thank you all for coming to the It's Okay to Play With Your Beer and Food Salon, um, brought to you by uh, Flying Dog Brewery, located in Frederick, Maryland. If you guys don't know where Flying Dog is, we're in Frederick. Um, I want to thank you for coming, because this is going to be an exciting salon. We are. Uh, this has been sort of the uh, culmination of a collaboration or partnership uh, between two real masters in their fields. Um, tonight, I'd like to introduce brewmaster Matt Brophy from Flying Dog Brewery. Uh, as well as Chef Brian Voltaggio from Volt Restaurant, also in Frederick, Maryland. We've been working together um, for over six months now, uh, and it's come together with this salon, and we have a beer that you'll all be tasting later on as well. Um, just wanted to thank you for coming, and with that, we'll pass it on to Matt Brophy. Thanks, Ben. Thank all of you for coming. Um, before we get started playing with sure our food, I just have some very general comments about beer and food. Um, you know, years ago I worked with a brewer who would describe the brewing equipment as pots and pans. And at first this kind of bugged me because we have, you know, we have kettles and fermenters and whirlpools and all these different things. But the more I thought about it, the more it really made sense to me that breweries are just big kitchens. And while our pots and pans may be a little bigger and different than some of Brian's uh, pots and pans, we're really... I love it, it's cute. Um, We're really doing the same thing. We're taking agricultural products, putting them together, and creating a really unique product um, uh, for the consumer to enjoy. Um, You know, we're here at the fourth year of Saver. Um, We've got two sessions this year, two nights, and, uh, you know, when it's offered to the public, uh, it sells out in about an hour. And I think that speaks volumes of where beer has come um, in relation to food in the past even just five years or so. Uh, beer's diversity is really being recognized and appreciated by many, and uh, I think that's a great thing, and that's what we're all here to celebrate. Uh, you know, for years, a lot of people would think that, you know, uh, you know, the argument is always kind of, you know, wine is what you sit down with at the table uh, when you're pairing with a dish. Um, but while wine is a beautiful agricultural product, um, it is a little different in that um, a vintner kind of, you know, they have their agricultural harvest, they harvest their grapes, um, they go through their processes, and to some degree, they kind of get what they get. And both chefs and brewers have the advantage of sourcing ingredients um, from around the world, um, exotic ingredients, traditional ingredients, and then using um, not only uh, the, kind of a recipe formulation, but also what we'll see here tonight with some amazing processes to tailor that, 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 that final product to exactly um, what you want it to be. So you can really target a, a flavor profile and you can nail it down. And I think that's something really special and, um, you know, both about being a chef and being a brewer. So with that, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Brian here and he's going to take it away, Brian. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you very much. Um, and thank you all for, for coming out tonight. Um, you know, Matt and I met not that long ago. It was probably... Four months, something like that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we've we've definitely seen each other because uh, you know, in town, Frederick is small. Um, I cook a lot. He eats a lot. Yeah. He comes to the bar. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. So um, you know, obviously, we're, we're both um, we're, we're both in the same area. So we got to know each other because um, you know he's a master at what he does. I'm excited about food, and um, I think we got together because we're both very passionate about what we do, and we've we found a common ground, which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later. Absolutely. And um, you know, but tonight it is uh, we wanted to have fun with with fear uh, with fear with beer and food. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
No, and so in our kitchen at Volt, what we do is we, we do play a lot. But we play a lot with flavors. We play a lot with techniques. We play a lot with classic uh, dishes and try to modernize them. Um, but, you know, we, we definitely are always looking for a really great, great flavor profile. Um, and so hopefully tonight you'll experience some things that really work together. You know, the first dish that we're going to be doing, for example, is um, we're going to incorporate, a, a, you know, sort of a, a different way of thinking when you're talking about cooking ingredients and smoking. Um, and what we're going to be doing is we're using hay. Okay, so we're going to be using uh, a little Timothy hay, and we're going to use that to uh, pop open some oysters. Okay, so that's going to be your first pairing. And we've, what we've done is um, this dish can be done um, two different ways. It can be served chilled, which we're going to be serving it to you tonight, um, and or it can be served hot. So I'm going to show you the hot version, and you're going to have the chilled version. Uh, we're also going to serve that with a pickling spice oil. And, you know, this isn't a cooking demonstration, so I'm not going to, you know, go through recipes because that's kind of boring anyway. And, um, and I don't know if you're going to go back and smoke out your kitchen with a bunch of hay anyway. Um, but, hey, I'll show you what, how we do it. But the reason why, though, is, is that, you know, smoke has a, a, a high acid sort of flavor to it. You know, so when you smoke something, it generates this really, really high acidity. And so to cut that, um, I think it's going to pair very, very well with this beer because this beer is very, very light. You know, it's, 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 a, it's an ale. It's, it's um, you know, for me, I, I, I think is something that's... Uh, um, has a little bit of a sweetness too, so it kind of will help balance it. And then the saltiness of the oyster, which, it, you know, that brininess of an oyster with a little bit of smoke, it, it's a really special thing. Uh, we also made a pickling spice oil, um, which all we did was, was take the, the pickling spice that you would get to blend and toast it, and we added oil to it, and we let it steep. So it really creates this really great aromatic oil, and then to top it off, um, some cucumber and some apple. And the cucumber we just made in small little Parisienne. And then I'm telling you about the whole thing. I should be showing it to you. So how about we start? I'm, I'm waiting for my smoke to come up, so I'm killing time. There we go. Um, so the Parisienne, which is just a, a, a little ball, so to speak, of apple and cucumber, which add like this really great refreshness to the, to the dish. Um, so the oysters are about ready to go in. This takes about four or five minutes. Uh, the smoke, once this gets up to about 180 degrees in the pot, you can see there's already some smoke generating right now. So I'm just going to add like six to the typical order is what, half a dozen oysters? How many do you eat? Six? Twelve? How many do you want? <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, oysters, I, you know, I, I think for me during the summer um, are, are a really great thing. I mean, typically you think about, you know, in our months, you know, October, November, December for oysters. Uh, but no, for me, this is like backyard, put this on the grill, get the, the hay smoking, you know, in a nice cocotte or a, a pot. I have to use this one because uh, it's an induction burner. But you can get like a big Dutch oven, Dutch oven and just get it up to temperature, add the hay and start, let, start to let it smoke. And just add a half dozen oysters to it, cover it, and then let it sit until they start to pop open. It's really, really easy. Um, I need a couple minutes. Yeah. Well, I can, so. introduce, I can introduce the beer if you'd like. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about yeah. the beer? So we'll talk about uh, the, the, the oysters we paired with the Doggy Style Pale Ale. So this is it's actually one of the original Flying Dog beers when we started uh, over 20 years ago now. And, you know, it, I might just take a minute to talk about, how, again, how diverse beer is. Right now, the Brewers Association recognizes over 80 different yeah, styles of beer. Each of those styles, the, um, or most of them, have subcategories, sure. or sub-styles yeah. that um, well, we raise that total too. number well above 100. 
So okay. in this case, we're talking about an Could American style pale ale. Uh, all beer is a balance of, of malt sweetness uh, and hot bitterness to, to, to some degree. And in this case, in fact, all of the beers, with the exception of the backyard ale we'll be having tonight, are hop forward beers. These are beers where the accent is towards the hops. And um, we're, we're actually going in the ascending order of, uh, of hop assertiveness. So this beer has a great, um, has some caramel malt to it, uh, but it has the bitterness to back it up. We use a uh, hop called Cascade, which has a very nice um, piney, citrusy, and sometimes almost a little herbal and grassy uh, note to it. Um, it balances out very nicely, uh, and it should be a great pairing for this. And I'm like totally fascinated. Hope I don't get in trouble by checking out these oysters on this egg. It's Go like ahead, check them totally out. Totally cool. <laughs> but that's the thing when we're talking about agricultural products. Yeah. Uh, so. You know, I, I was doing um, a, a, a cheese pairing once, and it's interesting when you think about cheese because you have these cows that kind of eat this grass all day, and then of course produce this milk. And you know you make the cheese out of the milk, and and you can actually get some of those earthy, um, grassy flavors out of the cheese. And it's the same thing with hops; they're an agricultural product, and you can get some of those similarities. So you can come up with some really great pairings. So of course, I don't think we're eating the hay tonight, but uh, but of course the smoke will um, will be an element of the uh, of the oyster. Well, we can eat the hay if you'd like. Um, you know, once it's smoked, it's cooked. I mean, it's. You can try it. I, I typically do serve them over the hay, though. Um, it's just a nice presentation, and it also keeps that aroma at the table, uh, which is really nice. It sort of brings in that, that you know, cooking technique that we're using and, and carries it through. So not only are you just you're getting the aroma um, from the hay itself, but also it has a nice presentation. So what's that, Brian? So this is a uh, green apple air. So what we did is we added sucro, which is a hydrocolloid, and it reacts with the... Uh, that's kind of boring talk, right? <laughs> reacts, reacts with the liquid by agitation uh, of an immersion blender. We can create this uh, foam-like texture. And everybody says, oh, chef, yeah, use foams to make it look cool. Um, it's not about that. What it's about is actually just adding the right amount of balance in the dish. Uh, by aerating it, you're, you're incorporating air into it and actually making a froth uh, very much like the... I guess the, the head of the beer, right? Um, and when I was a kid, you know, well, not when I was a kid. Okay, <laughs> soda, right? <laughs> Coca-Cola cold out of a fountain. You know, I always loved that foam texture. It was really cool, you know? Um, and then obviously now that I'm old enough, I like to enjoy the well, head I, of the beer. I, I, um, so it, this, this texture, it, it allows you to take something that's really intense and then just um, aerate it so that way it doesn't, uh, it's not too much for the dish. I could just put a little bit of a dollop, but it doesn't encapsulate the whole oyster. This way I get that flavor over the whole thing. So, so the creative process isn't necessarily just putting together a recipe like we talked about a couple minutes ago. I mean, when you get involved in some of the more technical details and some of the science, and, and Brian's got a lot more cool stuff coming up here, um, that's how you can come up with kind of new concepts. And that's what you're seeing in the craft beer industry right now, too, with um, of course, there's a lot of exotic ingredients out there, but there's also some interesting processes uh, that are happening and, and, and experimental processes. And that's really what can, can drive uh, th those new, creative, awesome, kick-ass beers, which is fantastic. And I can add to that. This dish all came about in the restaurant one day. We're actually working on uh, my book, and I'm not saying anything about it. But what I wanted to say was we're smoking carrots for another dish 
And we just started throwing other things into it. We're like, well, what else can we smoke? Because we already have the hay going. We're like, let's start throwing some other things in there. And we know that heat gradually will open oysters and clams. So we're like, let's throw some oysters in there and see what happens. And we were just so surprised by the flavor that we're, we're really intrigued. And we wanted to use it later in, a, in another application and became a, a new dish at the restaurant. Yeah, restaurant people and uh, brewery people find interesting ways to smoke interesting things, I think. Um, so, yeah, some... <laughs> <laughs> some some of the best things happen by accident, you know. All right, I do want to get to the plated version of this, um, so I might I might do a little uh, cheating to in, in the sense of time. Uh, you know, over a nice fire, this would uh, this would be doing differently. So I do have some shells here. Where are they? Would you do the shells to take them to the back? Okay. What about your knife? Your knife? There you go. Alright, I have some that were already pre-smoked at the bottom. So Brian, where, where did these oysters come from? Uh, these here are... These are old salts. Uh, these are Rappahannock. So we we try at the restaurant. We try to buy everything that's uh, you know local, sustainable, organic. So uh, these guys have been doing a really good job um, raising oysters uh, down just off at the mouth of the bay, and um, they're actually one of my favorites. Okay, to serve. I would be taking some of this hay that we already have that's kind of smoked at the bottom. I want to bring that sort of element into the dish. So just kind of place that down on the bottom. There's an aroma, even though they're not really starting to darken too much. I'll just place a couple of them over the top. Add some of the uh, green apple and cucumber. Steal some of Scott's air. And then the pickling spice oil. That's really it. I mean, it's just a very simple dish. So that's our hay smoked oysters with uh, green apple, cucumber, and pickling spice oil. And I'm going to let that go because. Uh, I'm going to give you some right out of the pot because I want you to try those. All right. Um, it's, as you're trying that, we're going to go into another dish. And we, uh, you know, I guess in the theme of what we're doing tonight, we really like to play with textures. We like to play with our food. We like to play with, with beer. Um, we made, we actually took one of his beers that he spent a lot of time, like, you know, nurturing. And, and we took it and we broke it down and, and uh, we, we cooked it. <laughs> we we boiled it, we uh, added things to it, um, and then we're actually going to recreate it uh, into a sphere. So the beer itself um, is is very 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 hoppy, and um, so it has a slight bitterness to it that we enjoy, and that's what we're looking for. Um, and to sort of balance that, you know, I learned uh, from this gentleman here that you would use malt 
to balance those flavors. So I looked in my kitchen, I'm reaching around, I'm like, okay, well, I don't, I don't have anything that's malted. I, don't, I really don't have anything I can use. And then I went to sorghum molasses. And I know, like, you know, we're just talking right before, and sorghum is actually being used a lot in brewing now. Um, and so I said, hey, you know, what the heck, let's, let's put two together. And we found it was such a great balance. Um, so what we're going to be doing is, if you're going to have beer, well, at least sometimes when I go out, you have to have chicken wings, right? At least that's what I do on Sunday afternoons when I'm watching football, uh, beer and chicken wings. So um, we're going to be doing a, a sort of a play on the classic buffalo chicken wing, and we're going to be serving it with that beer that we sort of recreated. Okay? Um, the process, though, to making a sphere is, is very simple. Um, it, it needs to be exact. It's, you know, it's a precise measurement of using uh, you know, calcium and, uh, and algin, which is a derivative of seaweed, uh, red kelp out of the... Uh, um, you know, off the coast of Ireland, and it's brought down into a powder, and then when you use that, it makes a reaction and forms a sphere on the outside when you put the two together. And I'm just saying that really, really fast to explain it, and you guys are probably like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> um, but the cool part is, is that we're going to be able to, to create this, and it's, it's a really fun texture and way to play, um, you know, with the dish. You know, um, one thing that's so unique about what we're going to be doing, though, is we're going to take these spheres and we're going to put them into a uh, CO2 canister, you know, the soda siphon. And we're actually going to be able to recarbonate them because once we heated it up, all the carbonation was expelled from the, from the beer itself. Um, and then we agitated it and added all of these hydrocolloids to it, and that definitely got rid of the, the remaining CO2. So we actually want to put that back into it. Um, it's definitely not what you're doing... At the brewery? <laughs> you have a million so of much, those. And that's I know, have. you have a million of those. See, we have the same kitchen, you know. He's, you know I have these, and, and, and he has the big ones, and, and I have this little. Yeah, okay. So uh, okay. <laughs> we got that. Um, so in the beer itself, um, we, we added a few different things that are going to allow this to react. And this is the algin bath next to it. And as you can see, when we're dropping it, it, it falls to the bottom, um, and it's going to create a sphere. That membrane that's on the outside is very thin, so we have to let them sit in here for a minute, and then we'll be able to handle them. Now the process to carbonate them takes about two hours, so we've already done that, because uh, we don't have that kind of time, you know? But this process takes about two or three minutes. What are the implications of uh, when you heat up and boil bitter beers, does it increase the bitterness? Are you concerned about that it, at all? It, it does, because, I mean, it does reduce naturally a little bit, because, mm -hmm. you know, it's evaporating water. Whenever you're boiling something, you're evaporating water. So it does intensify the flavor. Um, it does become a little bit bitter, as you know, when you're boiling, sure. right? Yeah, you, it intensifies the, the bitterness. I mean, um, but, so, you know, what we did is we, we decided we had to add an ingredient to it to sort of counterbalance that. Um, and then when we finish this, too, we're going to add a little bit of an orange powder over the top. Uh, just to, to add like a citrus accent to it, um, and it'll kind of help brighten the flavors. You know, rather, and we also season it with a little bit of salt. I mean, okay. your, your beer was seasoned really well, <laughs> but we thought you know for this preparation we had to add a little salt. Okay. <laughs> um, um, going back to the chicken wing, uh, you know, this is going to be sort of a, a, a fun dish. Uh, what we did is we deboned all of the chicken wings. Um, you know, I'll show you a piece that we that we did. So we braised them, we cooked them sous vide as we were cooking these short ribs here that you're going to have later on. We removed all of the bones and we pressed them really well. And then we just crisped them in the pan. So it's a really simple way of doing a boneless chicken wing rather than using chicken tenders and calling them chicken wings. 
So uh, six of these, like lined up, you know, watching, you know, eating, sitting at the bar and watching football, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, we could just serve celery on, on the side, you know, and, and coat them with sauce. But we, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to freeze our celery. We're going to, you know, we're actually, I'm sorry, we're going to freeze our blue cheese. Um, we made our celery into a puree by juicing it. We added another hydrocolloid called xanthan gum that will thicken it up. And we're going to start putting together the dish. Do you want to talk a little bit about the beer? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this, this next beer is our Snake Dog IPA. Uh, you know, there's, um, you know, again, we're, we're pretty much all hop forward beers here tonight, uh, with the exception of the last one. But uh, what makes an American IPA, um, it's a little different than an English IPA. So the English, uh, it basically comes down to ingredients, of course. But uh, the, the English uh, hop varieties are actually a lot more mellow. Uh, the American style, and most of these are Pacific Northwest, a uh, lot more assertive. So we use a hop in this beer uh, called Columbus, which is, um, it, it has even a more assertive, intense uh, citrus, almost like a grapefruit type of, uh, of aroma to it and flavor. And um, this actually has a little less of the, uh, the caramel malt to it, so you get more bitterness. And brewers measure bitterness um, uh, in units, like international bitterness units. And uh, the, the, the first beer we had tonight was around uh, 40 bitterness units, and this one is, is closer to 60. Uh, the, the, the next beer we'll have, too, will be a, around 60. But the, when you're, and this is actually, you know, just like what Brian was saying, when you, when you boil something, that's, that's what brewers do uh, during the, the wort boiling process. So wort is the unfermented, barley-derived sugar water uh, that ferments later on and becomes beer. So when we boil the wort in the kettle, we can add hops at different times to impart different types of flavors. So our typical boil, and for, for most brewers, that's a, it's about 60, 90, or 120 minutes. Most of our boils are about 90 minutes. The hops that we add in the beginning of the process, um, beginning of the boil, will simply impart bitterness. And you're really looking uh, to that just for that balance. So you're really trying to figure out that you want to balance things out. The hops that you add in the middle are going to add some of the flavor and the hops you add toward the end of the process are going to give you aroma. So you want to have the hops continue through the, through the beer and across the palate um, through all of those aspects. We take an, an additional step, uh, which is an old English technique, of something called dry hopping. So this is actually after the beer has fermented, we'll add hops to the top of the fermenter. Um, they kind of sink down through, and they just really impart that, that big uh, uh, hop aroma, and in this case the big citrus and grapefruit, and try to balance all that out. Okay, I'd love to an oyster to try too, mm. by the way. Okay, uh, so first part of this dish, I'm running around looking for my stuff here. There we go. All right, I got it. Plate. All right, so the celery, like I said, we made into a puree. I'm going to steal a little bit of uh, his right here. One spoon. So place a puree and a celery in the bottom of the bowl. The only thing is you're not going to be able to see that one, huh? It's all right. We'll, we'll bring it around. A couple of the chicken wings in the center. And Matt, I'm going to give this one to you. I think you need to try one. I'm going to give this one to you. Okay. And then this is a uh, piquillo pepper barbecue sauce that we made. It's our, it's our chicken wing. 
uh, sauce, or it's not the Durky Red Hot, which I actually personally enjoy. Uh, we, we had to do something on our own, because in our kitchen we can't, we can't grab the condiments off the shelf. So we spiced it with a little pimento spilet, which is a bass pepper. Um, it's nice, it's you know, really, really um, you know, a balanced uh, sweet, sweetness between the spice and, and the pepper. Um, it's expensive too, <laughs> but it, it's it's a, it's a really great pepper for this. Uh, and then we're going to finish it with some celery leaves. Very simply over the top. Now we're talking about the blue cheese, and uh, so we're going to freeze some, and uh, we'll, we'll freeze it with nitrogen. We have because um, I put my you know, finger in that. Yeah, it'll hurt. <laughs> Don't do that. And and again, you know, a lot of people do this for show too. And well, you know, it, it's it can look really cool because it smokes and does all of this. You know, once I put the blue cheese in there, it's going to really start to smoke. Where's the blue cheese? Is that my charged one? Yeah. Um, as you can see, it's. The temperature change is so dramatic because it's, this is negative uh, 312 degrees and then the, obviously the blue cheese is just at room temperature, um, it starts to smoke. But what happens is it actually freezes into this like rock-like texture very, very quickly. Um, so it's a really great way to take something that's very spicy and hot and, and warm and then add something that's very cool so it has that hot and cold effect which is uh, on your palate is really, it's really unique, it's, it's fun. Um, and, and we like to, to, you know, to have fun when we're eating and cooking. So that's it. It's, it's kind of cool, yeah, right? It's very cool. Yes. Yeah. Here, some frozen blue cheese. Awesome. I love blue cheese. Yeah. Breathe out your nose when you put it in there, though. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's, that's the last part of the dish. So, but then we talked about having beer with our. Uh... I can eat it. Yeah, you can eat it. I'm gonna feed it to everybody else. All right. So, which is so fresh? You know, it's still smoking. <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> You'll live, don't worry. <laughs> He's scared. Okay, good. I do need to finish the spheres and show you guys how those work. Okay, so as you can see, that texture that I was telling you about, um, we turned that beer into a sphere. And uh, you can actually take it It's going to run all over the place, probably. And then cut it open, it becomes liquid. Wow. <laughs> so it encapsulates the, the liquid on the inside uh, by doing that technique, which is, which is pretty neat because um, it just looks cool. And that's why. No, but, <laughs> but what you're doing is we're taking beer that typically in your mind is you, you drink, and, and now we're going to be able to sort of eat it. And who's had bubble tea before, right? Okay, just about everybody. It's, it's kind of the, you know, the same sort of texture. It's really cool. But then we've carbonated them and then place them back into the same beer so we keep the flavor. And then we're going to serve it on the side. And where's the beer itself for the foam? Oh, yeah. We have a pitcher? Using a classic pitcher, you know. We use that to make our foam. 
So the hydrocolloid I was telling you about earlier called sucro, uh, we're going to use that to create the air-like texture in the beer, which has already occurred. I could just use that. But I need to show you how we're going to do yours. So we add about a half a teaspoon of uh, sucro to that. And then we'll just emulsify it with a merchant blender. So I'm cheating, but if we were to take this uh, right now and, and get it set up for service, we would actually have to do this. But what's happening now is I just poured the beer in and it's going to stay right at the top anyway. But this will create a stable foam, so this won't actually fall. And this is the head to our beer. So there's our edible snake dog. You're going to have to have it this way. I'm really curious, because he's never had this before, what you're going to think about your beer like this. Yeah, I can't wait, yeah. So we finish over the top with the blue cheese, and we have chicken wings and beer. Thanks, Brian. You're welcome. What are you for? <laughs> it's more of that smoking uh, cheese again, yes, right? Yes, look at that. Now, and um, I'm happy to answer any questions, too, during this, so please, if anybody has any, feel free. Um, no, Matt, that's not dangerous. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm like, oh. <laughs> did you say you recarbonate the little ball? Yes. What we did was we actually put it into a, a CO2, uh, it's a, um, a CO2 canister. It's a... Basically, what you would make tonic or soda water with. And then we put the beer and the spheres inside this. Just enough liquid just to keep them floating. Because if you were to pour them on top of each other, they would burst. Right. But then also, you want to keep it in the same liquid that you used to make it. So there's no flavor transfer. Because an osmosis will happen. If you just keep it in water, it'll dilute the sphere. So, and then we charge it with the CO2 and let it sit for two hours. And it actually penetrates the sphere and, and carbonates it. You can do it with grapes. If you get one of those things and take grapes and just throw grapes in there and carbonate them, seriously. And in two hours, you go back to your refrigerator, you have carbonated sparkling grapes. So you make your own little uh, champagne, you know? <laughs> uh, so if you guys are ready to pick up. Any other uh, questions for Brian from anyone? Is this on your menu right now? Uh, no, this isn't on my menu right now. Um, it, it has been before. This actually, I did this dish with, um, I did this with doggy style the first time I did it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. It, was, um, it was right around, it was Super Bowl Sunday. I, I had to work. You know, and I normally would want to watch the Super Bowl, but I went in because I'm always there for my guests. So, you know, I was watching a score like on a computer. But I, so I wanted to do dishes that were um, that were foods that you would typically eat during a football game. I did like seven layer dip, but it was completely different. I mean, it was it was pretty cool. It was like all broken down and it's different. You know, had all these different textures and you know made the chips a different way and it, it was fun. So we had a lot of fun doing it, but. Um, this, this dish we did that day, too. And we actually served the beer as a part of a, a 
Table 21, it's a, it's a 21 course menu we do at the restaurant. It's all small bites, so it's something like this. Anybody else have any questions? It's amazing, Brian. Is it good? Truly really amazing, yes. Never, I've never had How's that? that? It's awesome. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good. Incredible. Good. Oh, where do we get it? <laughs> yeah, I have a tank outside. I carry it in my truck. Um, no, I, I get it from uh, from Robert's Oxygen. Have you ever seen their trucks around? Uh, basically, anybody that that, that sells uh, CO two for a restaurant or for you know for bars for for carbonation, you can typically buy liquid nitrogen. Uh, we buy we go through a 180 liter tank in about a week because we use it for a lot of different stuff. It has very practical uses in the kitchen too because we can cool things down instantly. Um, you know, so we we use it in ways not just for for show, but we use it to create certain textures. And um, you know, if, if we want to cool a sauce really quickly and get it stored, uh, it's a great way for us to do that too. It's an expensive use of you know liquid nitrogen, but um, but it gets the job done. So Brian, where do your ideas come from? I mean, where? I mean, spherification. I mean, is that something that just popped well, in your head one morning and you're doing a dream? Well, no, I mean, how's well, no, <laughs> no, I wish. Um, no, a lot of these techniques were um, inspired by and, and designed by uh, a few different chefs. One in particular was Fran Adria in Spain. Uh, he he created this technique. Um, he, there's a few chemists that he had involved that, that help him create these textures. And then now this information is out there and chefs are able to take this and, and sort of do their own spin on it. I don't think he started doing it with beer, though. Ah. So we do have that one. Brian, Brian, <laughs> true pioneer. <Yes. laughs> um, you know, but it, it's, it's fun. Like, I try to take things that, you know, are very, very familiar and try to serve them in an unfamiliar way, but yet try not to... Uh, uh, compromise the, the flavor and texture of the dish uh, so much that you don't it's not recognizable um, you know this is very much a chicken wing we just took the bones out and we added the spice to it over the top and you know we're serving it with celery so you get that refreshing celery sort of flavor to it and a blue cheese we just froze rather than serve it in a dip on the side yeah. you know so it's everything that you know a buffalo chicken wing to be but we create it in a different way um, and the beer itself I mean I just I had to do something to your beer, man. <laughs> no, I, I think I think it's sort of a it's a it's a fun, playful way. You know, there's a lot of people that are doing edible cocktails now. You know, and that's one thing that I start to see at a lot of different bars. And and I and I love the technique of you know, um, jellifying you know certain low alcohol ingredients and stuff like that. And it's fun. You know, it's it's a really cool way to, to eat it because. I mean, what was the first edible cocktail? Everybody knows what that is, right? Jello shooters, right? It's, it's been done for years. You know, I, I'm not the first to do any of this stuff, man. <laughs> we're, we're just doing it in a, in a, in a different way. And so, um, and, we, and we we just have fun doing it. You know? So are these things like uh, taught in culinary school these days? I mean, these these, these more advanced yeah. techniques and the more experimental stuff? I mean, you see a little bit of it. I mean, not so much now. It's not, I think there's a few schools. I mean, there's one in New York that's doing a lot of it now. I mean, my alma mater was very, very traditional French. I mean, that's my base. Like, I, it, CIA is, is, you know... Escoffier and, and, and you know the, the the really base French cuisine, and but that's great because a lot of that's being lost now. I mean, a lot of people are just focusing on these techniques and they're kind of skipping over tradition. But you know, I think what we like to do and what we celebrate in our kitchen is 
is, is remembering all of those things, still knowing how to roast a piece of fish properly and still knowing you know, what poile means and, and all of these old you know, classic techniques that aren't used and, and, and add a little touches of what's new and modern and, and sort of blend that all together. Because you know, if you if you lose sight of what's old, then it's kind of hard to create new. Sure. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I, I think it's probably even true in brewing. I mean, I don't Absolutely, know so yeah. much, but I'm sure that, that a lot of you know a lot of guys are like you were looking back, you know, at, at you know old world styles and, and you know, sort of learning from that. Um, you know, I know in our cuis- in, in cuisine, there's a lot of things that have been lost and, and have been forgotten about. But if you go back and you research them, you bring them back, you, there's some really surprising stuff that's still that's out there. Right. Um, and, and we're doing some research now and even in a restaurant, you know, of, of some new fun techniques. So that's fascinating. Not new, yeah, old, right. but making them new again. Well, of course, in brewing, so, we have the, uh, the, the, the Reinholdsgebot, which was the German purity law of uh, 1516 that said you can only use, back then they didn't even know about yeast, so it was uh, three ingredients, you know, barley, uh, water, and hops. And to some degree, that, that may have stifled uh, creativity for, uh, for a while. And, uh, you know, now, of course, we're all the way on the other spectrum. And, you know, we see just amazing things happening in the brewing industry. Um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, certain, you know, aging beer on certain uh, woods or using hibiscus flowers or whatever the case is. Um, there's also some, some old traditional uh, 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 brewing techniques. Uh, you know, you look at the Belgians and what they do with Lambic. I mean, Lambic is a spontaneously fermented beer. Uh, it's a beer that they produce the wort that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. They pump it into a vessel called a cool ship, which yeah. is basically like a, sh- a shallow swimming pool. And they let the natural organisms that are around uh, just kind of float in and inoculate the wort and get it pretty funky. And then they put it in barrels that are already pretty funky and let those sit for, uh, for one, two, or three years to make a product that they call Guse, which is very interesting. And it's, a, it's kind of a sour beer. When I said earlier that you know, um, beer is, 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 a, is a balance of uh, sweetness, uh, malt sweetness and hot bitterness, that's almost always the case. But there are some Belgian styles where you have a sour component that is the dominating factor. And you know, it's just kind of interesting to see that some of these, so even, even back then, and it was more by tradition and necessity than anything else. And today you have brewers that are going back to some of those things and looking at some of those old techniques and utilizing them and putting new twists on them. So it's very similar to the things that, uh, that, you know, that, that, that Brian and, and, and is doing in his kitchen. And it's, you have to have fun. You have to play with your food. You have to play with your beer. Experiment and have a good time. What do you guys think of the spheres? Pretty cool. <laughs> Any questions? Matt, what did you think of the spheres? I thought they were awesome. I mean, it's it's it is uh, it's it's really amazing uh, to, to to kind of take the beer and and put it through this whole other artistic process after it's been you know cr- uh, you know originally created by one artist and then another artist does a whole other interpretation of it. Oh, really? Where's it in? It's truly oh, interesting right. and amazing and very tasty. It pairs very well with the snake dog. Uh, we can do the next one really quick. Okay. Um, next, as you're finishing this, I, I'm going to... Uh, I don't, don't want to keep too much more of your time because I know we're losing a little bit track of time. Um, this next dish, what we did is we actually uh, cooked the beer into the ingredient. So you need to, uh, you need to run for that. So we made a sausage um, 
and we, we took the beer and we actually cooked it into the sausage. We made it as part of the marinating process. And, um, and so when you pair it, you actually really, you, the, the two really come together because, you know, just like in wine, um, which I, I, I've learned that I, I love the beer making process a, a little bit better for one simple reason is that I believe that you can put what you want into it a little bit more. Um, you have a little bit more control. I, I mean, I love wine, trust me. Don't get me wrong. It pairs really well with food, and, and, I, and I know a lot about it. But the thing is, I, I truly believe that you could start with something that, that you have um, an open sort of canvas. You know, you can, you can put what you want into it. And so in this, in this sausage that we made is also the same thing. So we tried to play off the notes of the, of the beer itself and try to mimic some of those flavors in, into, the, into the creation of the sausage. So it's got a little bit of a spice. Um, it's, it's, it's fruity. It's, um, it has like a lot of garlic because <laughs> I think it really pairs really well with the beer. And, um, and the spice, I think, is, is more of the reason why we did that because of the name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some, sometimes it's in your face, you know what I mean? So, so um, go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. Raging bitch. Uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about the, the creative process. And yeah. uh, back in 2009, uh, we, were, we were just kind of wanting to, we were always playing around, but wanting to come up with something special. And uh, the brewers at Flying Dog, we really are into Belgian-style beers and definitely into IPAs, as you can tell, and hoppy beers. It's, it's most of what we have here tonight. Um, so we started, we started playing around. And in this case, uh, there's, there's a couple different ways you can go about the creative process. One is, is really kind of picturing the final product and working backwards to get there. The other is just start experimenting and see what happens. And in our case, we started playing with our, we talked about wort, so we took our snake dog wort and we amped it up a little bit. And by that, I mean we increased the, the sugar content um, a little bit, which would in turn increase alcohol. We used our white beer Belgian uh, yeast strain and we dry hopped it with a different hop. Um, you know, Snake Dog has the Columbus hop. We used a hop called Amarillo. And one of the challenging things about when you're dealing with hops and Belgian yeast is that a lot of times they tend to work against each other. The flavors kind of uh, clash in the aromas. And that, that's a huge challenge. And we found that with this yeast strain and this particular hop variety, we were able to find a combination that worked really well together. Um, we have um, something called uh, phenolics that the yeast produce, which are actually kind of, um, it's kind of funky, spicy elements that come out. And the Amarillo hops really give us this nice tropical fruitiness. And to, when you combine that together and have those work really well together, it was just, it was awesome. So we started off with some very small batches, some experiments. Um, we uh, took them over to the Brick Skeller here in D.C. and uh, you know, it kind of tried them out on some people. And it's, it's, it's funny because as a brewer, and I'm sure it's the same thing as a chef, where you, know, you ask somebody, well, what, do you, what do you think? What did you, you think of the beer? What did you think of the dish? And what are they going to tell you? They're going to say, oh, it was great. It was great. It was awesome. You know, whatever. But in this case, it was actually remarkable. Wait, you didn't like my chicken wing? <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. It was, no, it was, it was, it was great. <laughs> Good. So, um, so, so in this case, it was amazing, though, how passionate people were about telling us how great they thought this beer was. And, and you could kind of tell something was different about this. I mean, we loved it internally, but that doesn't always uh, translate to, uh, you know, the, kind of the general public liking the beer. But uh, just phenomenal, phenomenal response to it. So we came back to the brewery. Uh, we took it up to a production level and started at draft only and then took it into the uh, to the bottle and um, it was our 20th anniversary beer 
Uh, it was intended just to be a 20th anniversary beer, but it's uh, been so popular and so well received that we're actually keeping it around now. So what you're seeing with this beer is, is again, that, that combination of that Belgian yeast, the Amarillo hops, there is some crystal malt in here. Um, we're at about the same bitterness level, although the perception so can sometimes be different. So while we deal with analytics in our lab and we look at, okay, well, um, you know, this says it's X amount of bitterness units, that's great, but um, uh, analytical tools only do so much. The human palate's really going to tell you what's going on. I mean, your perception is, is, is the reality, really. So it doesn't matter, you know, what kind of, how many BUs or color units or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, we have a little bit of sweetness there to balance out the bitterness again. And we've got a great combination going with uh, the, 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 the phenolics and the spiciness of the yeast and the fruitiness of the hops. And it's been, uh, been a great beer and a great success for us. And this is... Um, I, I, this, this was actually used in the sausage, as, as Brian mentioned. So it's one thing, it's, and it's awesome to pair beer with food, but it's also pretty cool to use beer as an ingredient. And again, that just goes as an extension of the creative process. So you kind of take um, one artistic product or element and tie it into another. And I think that's what's great about our, our collaboration. And, you know, working with, um, you know, Brian from, you know, months ago and just start one of the great things about collaborations, we do some with other brewers. This is actually the first one we've done with a chef. Uh, but it's really, and Brian touched on this a couple minutes ago, it's a learning experience. Uh, I think that's where the true value is. And that's where the, 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 the final user, the, the customer, you know, really gets the benefit of deal, two we'll artists learning together and coming up with something new, new we'll and unique. And that, that's how innovation happens, I think, a lot of times. So you have products that come out when you get kind of two creative people together and put their heads together and come up with something awesome. This sausage looks pretty tasty. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, we, we've, been, we've been experimenting with a lot of different types of sausages in the restaurant. Um, you know, th this one is, is actually traditionally a garlic sausage, but we've, we've taken, you know, that and taken the red wine out of it and taken, you know, some of the other ingredients, and we created our own. Um, and we smoked it. Uh, we've been using a lot of smoke in the restaurant. Uh, you know, I, I just think that, you know, especially with pairing with beer, it just that acid balance is really, really neat. Um, you know, the, the, the idea of cooking with beer is, is for me, um, is always been intriguing. Uh, you know, I learned a long time ago, I was working in New York, you know, about braising short ribs with porters and stuff like that. And, and it all made sense to me, um, you know, taking all of these, like, really robust uh, flavored beers and, and putting it with, you know, slow braised meats. Um, but then I wanted to go a little bit further with it. I started to get introduced to all of these new different styles of beers, you know, as I started to get older and old enough to drink. Um, and, and that's, you know, really where I guess the, the, the fun came. And, and now with the, you know, all of these really great craft brews that are out there are actually using a lot of the same spices that we're using in the restaurants. Um, you know, they're, they're using, you know, really, really aromatic hops and, and, and you know, really creative malts and, and, you know, it gives us the opportunity to actually play off of all of those notes and, and have something to work with, you know, as, as a chef and a cook. Tighten. And, uh, you know, in this one, we've added like a lot of mustard seed to it, you know, because, you know, mustard seed is really spicy and adds that, you know, really great, you know, different element. Um, you're going to have to start going over here and plate. You're going to plate puree. We'll pick up this dish over here. So, again, talking about agricultural products and, and, and hops, you know, sometimes we had a panel, we had a, a, a symposium at the brewery the other day, and we were talking a lot about hops. And 
there's so many variables associated with um, agricultural products, and, and while brewers strive to be consistent, one of I, I think one of the beauties of craft beer is that there are subtle differences from time to time because gonna, we are dealing with different crops. One. Um, one of the things that sometimes happens with uh, there is with the raging bitch, there's a little bit of that Columbus hop in there too. Um, but sometimes you actually you actually almost get a little bit of uh, of an onion or a garlic type character out of it. So it's kind of interesting to see, and you know, from, from year to year, the slight differences in it. Some of, some of the agricultural products like barley are extremely consistent, but you know, hops, yeah, they can vary a little bit. And I think that to, uh, some people kind of see that as a big negative. I see it as a positive. I think it's fun to work with, but it also creates a challenge for the brewers to see how are they going to use that. We we. If we're contracting tens of thousands of pounds of hops, so you have to look at, you know, okay, we, we, it's going to be a few different lots. So you actually have to analyze, you know, each one. And, and in the case of hops, you'll take them and you'll do something called a rub. And you rub them in your hands and you smell them and you really get the aromatic character out of them and you figure out where you want to use them. Because if you use them for bitterness, Stick to and the aromatics don't matter so much. If you want to use them for aroma, well, that's pretty important. So you say, well, hey, we really prefer the aromatic characteristics of this lot. We're going to make sure they're going into our dry hop so that, you know, that will obviously affect the aromatic characteristics of the beer. Um, if, if there's a, a slightly undesirable component, we'll put that into the bitterness because that won't come out uh, as aroma. So it's, 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 it's a very interesting process. Um, you know, just as Brian sources... Uh, his, a lot of his ingredients locally, we're, we're at a scale that uh, that's a big challenge for us. But uh, one of the things we're committed to is working with local uh, you know, farmers. Uh, we have a local hop farmer, for example. We've actually planted hops on our property at the brewery in Frederick. And we're trying to increase the, uh, the amount of um, locally sourced uh, ingredients that we can because we feel that's very important. That's a, the question was, is that Amarillo's in short supply, and that's very true. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, a lot of it's about relationships. So you have to have a relationship um, with your supplier, who in turn has a relationship with the grower, and to be able to make sure that the growers uh, have the support that they need and the contracts that they need. Uh, for years in the um, brewing industry, a lot of brewers kind of looked at hop suppliers as uh, I, <laughs> it's like a pizza shop. So they call up, hey, I need a box of this, and I need a box of that. And Well, that's great, but the growers didn't know what way that was going to go. I mean, so then they're investing. I mean, it takes, it's not until the second year you get a crop from your, from your hop planting, and it's expensive to plant hops. So it's really about saying, hey, we're going to commit to this grower, basically, through our supplier, that we're going to be able to take this agricultural product on a long-term basis. We're willing to sign that contract and put the money on the table to make that happen. Yes, Amarillo's are in short supply. We've got a great relationship with our, our broker and the grower. Um, that is, that is a, a single grower. Actually, um, a gentleman named Darren, uh, out, of, out of, of course, Yakima Valley, who uh, is doing very innovative things with hops. So it's a lot like other industries where, uh, you know, you kind of have somebody who starts looking at things a little bit differently and coming up with some very creative ways of doing things. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what he's going to have coming off of his farm uh, in the years to come. So it's, 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 it's very interesting, very exciting. But, yeah, so we, we've, got our, we've got just enough kind of thing, you know. And, and, of course, we're supporting him. And in the years to come, we, we, we expect to grow. He expects to grow. And we need to keep that relationship going. Any other questions back here? I have a microphone I can bring back if anyone else has a question. Oh, we're using pork. Pork. Yes. 
Uh, the question, uh, are, you, are we pairing this one with the beer? Yes. yes. This, is, this is paired okay. with the Raging Bitch. We actually use the beer in, in the sausage making process. And you have three of the, three of the dishes are prepared with uh, That's with not a phone call that was telling me that my time was up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I do know that there's those of you who did not get the chicken wing dish, that's, we're going to be preparing that shortly. So I, I apologize. And I'm sorry I interrupted you. Um, out, of, out of all the dishes tonight, which one's incorporated beer actually in the... Well, it'll be this dish and, the, uh, and actually the next one. Um, and also... You know, as in the marinating process for the short rib, we we use the beer itself, um, and then also as well in the uh, obviously the spheres. I mean, because I, I look at that as like taking something that's that's typically a drink and turn it into something that's that's edible, and uh, so we we used it in that process. Um, you know, it's it's. You know, for me, I mean, you know, cooking with beer is not just about drinking it while you're in the backyard, you know, hanging out by the grill. Um, you know, I, I like to I like to incorporate uh, the beer into the food. Um, you know, obviously, many people have done this bef- way before me. Um, Germans have been making you know beer sausages for you know hundreds of years. You know, so um, it's really just taking traditional um, uh, you know techniques and being inspired to do new things or different things with them. Um, you know, ours was a little bit more thought process, I think, into what the beer tasted like. You know, when we're we're thinking about uh, what we're going to spice the sausage with. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, coriander. There's a lot of, uh, um, uh, again, piment splat to add a little bit of spice. I mean, it was just inspired by the name itself. And then uh, adding a little upland crust over the top. But the smokiness, too, um, I thought is what made this really unique. We took something that, you know, typically wouldn't be smoked, and we, and we smoked it. Um, and I think it just added another layer of element, you know, layer of flavor to it. Um, no, I have not, but I mean, there'd be no reason why you couldn't. Um, you know, it's, um, you know, taking, uh, say, pastrami or something like that and braising it in, in, uh, in putting in the pickle itself, you could actually, or in, in the, uh, in a, when you're corning the, the, the beef itself first, you could actually use like a light ale or something like that, and then you could actually cook it in a, in a dark, you know, porter or something or a stout. I mean, I think that would be pretty unique. Uh, because what would happen is if it's, if it's braising and then you're, you're sort of glazing that meat and then you put it into the smoker because that's how you make pastrami. You take basically a, you know, a, a, you know, a brine piece of meat and you place it into the smoker with spice. It's, you know, it's crusted with the spice. Um, I think you could form that pellicle when you take it out and, and sort of rub it with the, that same beer. It would sort of coat and glaze the outside of it. I think it would be a really unique thing. I haven't done that yet, but I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to now. I mean, I, I just thought of that now. So ideas are happening now, so it's good. I will, <laughs> and and I'll have to name it after you too, I guess. Um, <laughs> okay. I haven't been able to try these uh, with the beer, so I, I think uh, I, I might let you do that. If you did it with lamb, it would work out well with my last I'm sorry. If you, if you did it with lamb, it would work out well with my last Oh, it would. Oh, that would work. Okay, well, um, the next dish, I, I, I agree with you, sir. I like that. <laughs> uh, the next dish, um, we, we braised uh, short ribs, and we, we took uh, something that, you know, traditionally you'd smoke the, uh, the short rib itself, but what we did is we actually smoked the accompaniments. So we smoked grits. 
Um, and what we did is in our smoker out back, we, we started some hickory and then just laid the, 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 um, the, the grits in a pan um, in the uncooked state and smoked them for two hours. Uh, so very, very simple technique. And then what happens is, is that smoke sort of attaches itself to the grits, and then as you're making them, it takes about 45 minutes to cook them, that you make that porridge, that smoke gets trapped into those grits, and you end up with this really, really great, rich, uh, smoked um, porridge. So, and then we're going to be serving that with a little caramelized onion, and um, I guess we'll, we'll talk about, I guess, pairing the beer a little bit. So, it was... You know, months ago when, uh, you know, we decided to do this collaboration and we had Brian over to the brewery and, you know, trying to kind of, oh, we got it here. Yep. So, <clears throat> you know, we kind of, we went out to like Common Market and uh, like Whole Foods and just kind of picked up a bunch of different ingredients and thought, well, what, I'm not sure where we're <clears throat> what is Brian here. interested in? Like, what, 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 what direction are, are we all going to want to go with this? And, you know, <clears throat> we had some, some very odd, are? mustard Source seed counts. and, you know, all these odd items. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we also had was a smoked malt. And this is uh, by one of our suppliers, Brees. It's a cherry wood smoked malt. And as soon as he smelled that, he said, this is it. It was a eureka moment. This is it. This is what we need to use. And from there, we we knew what we had to do. And as a brewer, I knew what we had to do as far as putting this recipe together. Um, You know, you have to be very careful when working with smoked malts because uh, if any any of you have ever had a traditional... uh, German-style Rausch beer, um, they're extremely smoky. Um, I remember as a, as a 17-year-old trying different um, beer styles. Up until I had a Rausch beer, I had never met a style I didn't like. Um, but I had that, and I was like, whoa, it's like bacon bits. Good, like, good, like what's going on here? Since then, I've developed more of an appreciation, but it's still an extremely uh, um, uh, assertive style that if you're not prepared for what you're about to drink, uh, um, you're, you're usually pretty shocked. Um, we have a beer at the brewery that we do called Dog Schwartz, which is a combination of a Rausch beer and a Schwartz beer, which is the German black lager. Um, in that, we use 55% of, the, when I say the percentage, it's a total grist. That's a total amount of barley malt that goes into the, into the recipe. Um, we use about 55%, so about half. And that beer has a great smoke element. I mean, it's up there. Uh, a lot of people who haven't had the, the true Bamberg Rausch beers uh, see it as being extremely smoky, and it is a big component of the beer. Now, when we looked at this, uh, you know, th- this beer and wanting to think about summertime 25. and pairing it with uh, everything that kind of goes good on the grill, goes good in the smoker um, and barbecue, we wanted the beer to be versatile enough, um, and, but we didn't want the smoke element to be too high. Um, we talked about the recipe development process earlier, and I said, well, if you can picture that beer, you can use your ingredients and work towards it, and you can kind of get, get, get right to that point. This isn't too far away from that, but this involved a little more uh, pilot brewing. We have a one-barrel pilot system at the brewery, and we started off with 5% of this smoked malt. And we tried a version. We tried a lager yeast and an ale yeast and, and a couple different hot varieties. Um, but really, it came down to what this smoke element was going to be like. And we were at 5%, and it wasn't really there to the degree that we wanted it. And then we took it to 7.5%. And it sounds like it's like that's not a lot, you know, it's only 7.5%. But if you think about it, going from 5 to 7.5% is, is, is uh, you know, what, a 50% increase or whatever, you know, so it's actually a pretty big bump up. But when it's you, when you taste this beer, line, you'll yeah. see that um, it's there, but it certainly isn't, it isn't kind of beating you over the head as, as we describe some of these uh, Ross beers sometimes, whatever the case is, with smoke. So the beer is versatile enough to go with a wide variety of summertime backyard foods. It's only, uh, it's about 7.5% alcohol. 
Um, so it's, it's drinkable, um, not quite sessionable, but it's something you could really enjoy with food. And, There's a whole and this may not be the first, but I don't know of many others who have brewed a beer specifically to go with a certain uh, type of food. Uh, and I think that's a pretty interesting thing. And, you know, when, um, you know, we, uh, uh, I think Tom mentioned the Great American Beer Festival earlier. Well, the judges at the Great American Beer Festival look at the style. They kind of taste, you know, taste the beer and think about the style components and the perimeters um, and judge it based off that. Um, to some degree, we almost think that if you're going to judge this beer, you'd almost want to have the pairing with it to really get the feel for it. So this beer, again, was specifically brewed to go with food. Now, is it great by itself? Yes, it is. But I think that you're not giving the whole artistic creative process justice if you don't sit down and give it a shot with one of your favorite, you know, whether it's barbecue, smoke, uh, or even, you know, even... It's funny because we kind of have... In the Northeast, uh, you know, people talk about, and there's other areas of the country, but talk about barbecuing. I'll say, hey, man, come on over to the house Friday. Uh, we're having a barbecue. And you go there, and what are they, what are they doing? They grill them burgers and, and, you know, brats or whatever. And that's not really barbecuing. That's kind of grilling, you know? <laughs> There's a difference. And, um, you know, it's something that occurred to me some time ago. And just looking at it, and I'm, you know, Brian actually has been traveling the country, and he's got some great stories about some of the, some of the best barbecue joints in the country. But a lot of people, I think, don't realize the, oh, no. the, the diversity of even just hey, barbecue alone. Um, you've got Texas with their, you know, Texas and the Carolinas, and everybody's got their own way of doing things, and it's an amazing thing, and it's something that gone, 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 uh, is truly an, an artistic expression and should be appreciated, and let's hope it never goes away. So I think we're... Yeah. we're gonna, we have uh, one more dish uh, that we're going to plate for you. Um, and what this is is we, we took short ribs, and we actually marinated in some of the backyard ale okay. uh, just overnight. And then we took that... Uh, and then we coat it in a barbecue spice. The spice is Mediterranean-inspired. There's oregano, there's, there's uh, a little um, marjoram, but there's also some thyme. And then it's, it's sort of Cajun-inspired. And I went to a place called uh, Rendezvous in Memphis. And uh, you've been to Rendezvous? They do this uh, mop of vinegar. And so I was thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe I could get some of the uh, you know, acidity out of the beer uh, during the marinating process and it would kind of transfer over and it did like uh, you know I got this like you know really sweetness that came from from the beer um, during the marinating process and it also had like a little bit of the smoke element sort of was uh, uh, you know uh, carried through um, and then we smoked them a little bit longer too you know so we threw them into, into the smoker uh, and, and typically when you uh, when you have barbecue you have baked beans so we did something a little bit different at the restaurant and we took hazelnuts and we soaked them overnight and we put, put them in a pressure cooker and we pressure cooked the hazelnuts and we added some of that barbecue spice to it and we cooked it down just as you would think that you would cook baked beans. So there is a little bit of pork in there too, some bacon, so we made baked hazelnuts. Um, and then we took grits and then smoked those, like I said earlier, and we're going to put that together. So, um, you know, for me, we're kind of recreating the backyard barbecue uh, on one plate. Uh, I did get a chance to travel around and, and experience, uh, you know, backyard barbecue. And that's why I, you know, when I asked, um, when I asked about, you know, what, what we could do with this beer, um, because I was thinking, I was like, you know, if you take... Um, you know, wine, for example, and I started talking about that a little bit, you, you have, you're, you're 
you're, you're, I guess you're relying on the terroir. You're relying on the winemaker. You're relying on, um, you know, where the grapes are grown. You're relying on the varietals. So you don't have a whole lot of control. So what you do is, as a sommelier and as a chef is that you find the, the two things that work together out of the food and out of the wine, and you put the two together. Now, obviously, now there's definitely a lot more goes into winemaking, and, and, you know, you do have control. But I thought with beer, exactly as Matt was explaining, he tweaked it. There was four pilots. We, we created this thing that, you know, started from an idea. And what the idea was is, you know, pairing something with, with backyard barbecue. And um, we, there's just enough smoke that, you know, if you think about acid and acid, it works when it goes together at the right element. When smoke and smoke goes together, it's just enough to make it pop. And so we didn't want it to be too smoky. We wanted it to be just enough that when you take smoked foods and you put it together, do you have a really, really good match. And so hopefully I think it translated through. I know we've, we've been eating a lot of barbecue lately, and, uh, and I think it's been going pretty well with it. <laughs> um, it it's definitely was a, a very fun project. And I learned a lot about, about you know, the art of, uh, of brewing. And, um, you know, I, I have not to, I, I've always had an incredible respect for what's happening, um, but have a whole complete new understanding of what goes on, um, you know, in, in, in his mind and in many, many, um, and in many, many brewmasters' minds now, um, I'm starting to learn, you know, that it's very much like being a chef, you know, and, and it's very much about being, art, you know, an artist. And I think what he created was something that was exceptional. So hopefully you enjoy the pairing. Thank you, Brian. Absolutely. <laughs> Obviously in a pitcher. Can you let them know what, what beer is coming out right now? 97? Sure. So... Okay. Yep, backyard ale, um, and we've packaged this. Uh, we have draft, bottle, and the 750 uh, milliliter yeah. version. Um, Find another pan. Grab I think I went over it to a large degree about the smoke element. Um, we used uh, a hop called Liberty in the finish, which gives it uh, just a little bit of uh, earthiness. Um, it is an ale, so there's a little bit of fruit there. And the cherry wood um, that's, that, that's used to smoke the malt also lends a slight fruit element to it. So I'm going to actually... Uh, Crack this baby here for, for Brian and I. <laughs> yes, that's right. So our 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 our, our dog Schwartz is uh, a traditional. Uh, it's a it's the Wireman um, smoked malt. Yep. One of, one of the things to note too about uh, our, like if you ever have a 750 milliliter yeah, bottle from Flying Dog, it's bottle condition. That means it's re-fermented in the bottle. So the beer starts off flat. We add um, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of yeast, and the bottle goes uh, under a refermentation, and that's what gives it its carbonation. So that is unique to this package. Um, the other packages are go, uh, go through our our, our, our standard process uh, for carbonation. Yes, yes, scissor done. You have to open the short ribs. This isn't for sausage? I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that right now. So, kid, let me have that, please. Okay, thank you. Go help Scott. So um, I guess I could talk a little bit about, uh, well, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what, what barbecue means to me and, and, you know, 
the, the whole sort of idea of, of barbecue and what I learned, um, you know, because I did get to travel a little bit and I, I visited, you know, five different states and uh, I, I think 12 different spots. Um, so it was a pretty amazing trip. And, and what I did find is, is that barbecue really is about the experience. You know, it's about, um, it is very much about the pit master. Um, it is about the person who is at the helm of the, of the, of the fire and the smoke. Um, and, and tradition too, and it's very about, very much about traditional cooking and passing down uh, through generations, and you know from you know person to person, and pitmaster pitmaster these techniques. But it's all about gathering, and it's about you know getting around in the backyard and, and sort of you know getting together as friends and family and, and enjoying you know good food together. And so you know it, it just for me, I was sort of inspired to create things. Um, you know, in a restaurant that are a little bit more comforting and, and taking ideas of, you know, of, of communal uh, sort of dining and cooking. So we've been doing, like, you know, side dishes and stuff like that where you're sort of sharing plates. You know, it's been, been a lot of fun. Um, but and also just the simplicity of it. Um, it's very technical because <laughs> you have to know what you're doing. Um, but it's typically very, you know, few ingredients that are involved in barbecue. You know, it's all about just making sure that it's done right. You know, that it's, it's the right amount of you know, um, time, it's the right amount of salt, it's the right amount of fire and smoke, and uh, it, it's just about having fun, you know, really. Um, but it, it, it's so, the one, the one thing I'll take the, you know, away from it, though, too, um, was no matter where I went, there's always banana pudding. I mean, it's everywhere. <laughs> I, I, I ate a lot of banana pudding, <laughs> which is good, and I've had some really good ones, I had some really bad ones, but um, it was, uh, that, that was definitely cool, so... You know, I, what, what I did learn is, and I hope none of you do barbecue here, um, but what I did learn is, is that I always thought that Memphis-style barbecue or Kansas City-style barbecue was uh, very much like, you know, was, if you're talking about pulled pork, that it was braised in the sauce, you know, because I, I never went to the, to the origin of it. You know, I'd never been there. I mean, I knew otherwise because I've, I've read plenty about it. But, um, but going there and experience it was very different. I just think that here, sometimes, we take the two and we have to. We're like, okay, Carolina, it's just, you know, vinegar-based sauce. And then, you know, Memphis, is, it's coated in sauce. It's so there's a, you, you can see the difference as a consumer. Um, but I learned that it's not the case. It's all about the care of the meat and the right amount of spice. And then you put the sauce on top if you want it later. So that's one thing I did learn. Tell us about that place in Texas, man. Okay, yeah. Um, Schmitty's and Lockhart. Has anybody ever been there? Lockhart's like the, the barbecue capital of Texas. I mean, actually, Texas legislation told them that that's the case. And, um, and so there, there's a, name, uh, a man named John Fullalove, and uh, he, he knows how to, how to cook brisket. I mean, I had the best brisket I've ever had. It's 160 quarts of wood in the outside. Um, it's bigger than the building where his wood is, and he goes through that through two-thirds of the year. It takes to just, just just use that for smoke in, in the restaurant. And he has four different pits in there, and the place is just uh, patinaed with smoke around the outside. I mean, if you're in there, these walls would be black. And, and it's just, you know, years and years, and pass it down as, you know, I, I think two members of his family actually have barbecue there, and we're told that if we went to his place and we wanted to film anything or record anything, that we couldn't go to any of the other ones because he would be mad. It's like that diehard down there. <laughs> um, but I had some of the greatest, uh, you know, experiences 
um, you know, in Texas with him and, and, you know, really understanding what it takes to, to make really great barbecue. And, you know, as he, as he said it, it was uh, buy quality meat, put some fire to it, and don't let it burn. That's what he said. I always, I'll never forget that. I was like, it makes sense to me, you know. And so, um, and, and he only opens up in, in the morning for lunch, and when he runs out of meat, he closes the restaurant. He's done. So it was a really cool space. So um, I'll finish this, and then we'll get... So uh, I think many of you have this beer already, yes? Yes. So it's interesting how people perceive things on their palate, and sometimes uh, it takes a little bit of suggestion. And I think that, that a lot of, I already talked about the smoke element in this beer, but if you were to just kind of later on, if you were out on the floor tonight and you tried this beer, you'd say, what? What is that? What? Yeah, what? There's yeah. something this different one? about yep. this. And if somebody said to you, it's a little smoky, you'd say, yeah, that's, that's what it is. That's what <laughs> it is. Now, sir. So oh. it's, it's kind of interesting, um, the perception. That. And it's interesting, too, when you, when you have a smoked okay, element with the food. And sometimes something might uh, taste like if, if, if there's a lot of smoke in a, in a dish um, and some smoke in the beer, they actually can kind of, kind of balance each other out and tone each other down so that the intensity might seem... Um, Sorry, intense, um, but it kind of it kind of lowers lowers both of them down when you try them uh, together, Definitely. and I think that's one of the things we're going for here uh, to make these uh, pairings you know really nice with some of the smokier things that people are doing out there. You know, a lot of people asked, okay, you know, Brian, are you going to have a lot of barbecue items in your in your restaurant now? Now that the backyard was 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 made and and I, and I said well yeah i mean definitely i'm gonna have some things that i want to pair in a restaurant you know i, I definitely want to do uh, an item on my tasting menu you know where i'll incorporate that because i love pairing you know beer with food in in, in those menus um you know but <laughs> i i think this is more about like what i do on on my days off you know right, yeah. this is this is you know a beer that's meant to be shared with friends and family and hang out in the backyard and really uh you know have fun you know cooking things over you know they're simple in 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 preparation but great in flavor and you know that and that's what i'm inspired to do now now that the, that you've created the beer oh thanks yeah <laughs> so if i could just is my mic on hello uh if i could just jump in real quick um i just want to thank uh matt and brian tonight uh, we're wrapping up in the last couple minutes here yeah. with the last dish and the last beer everybody has backyard ale this is really represents our national launch of this beer this collaboration between two true artists so if i could um get everyone to raise their glass uh with this backyard ale and and give a toast to these two two artists in in both their fields oh, thank you cheers thank you. Thank, thank you thank you i think we'd like to open up as the last uh plate is being served um just to questions i can roam around tom can roam around uh, if we have any questions we'll also uh be hanging out here because it looks like we have some cleanup to do um, yeah. And and I think Brian is uh, and Matt are also going to be at uh, the Flying Dog table out at Saver. If you have any additional questions, and and if we're lucky, uh, we might have uh, some backyard ale out there as well, um, illegally. Um, but anyway, uh, any questions for Brian and Matt? Um, she has one here. <laughs> I thought you did. Um, this is yeah, for question? Matt. Actually, what is the distribution for for Flying Dog? Uh, Flying Dog in general. On premise. I'm, are you on premise? Like, are you in bars course, and like, nationwide, yes. or just um, almost nationwide? Okay. Yeah, we're in we're in most states. We'll put it that way. Okay. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit of Europe too. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, we're far and wide, and all of our beer comes out of Frederick, Maryland. So we are a local product to Maryland. Okay. 
Uh, the question is, is this a year-round beer? Uh, the answer to that is, this is a, uh, right now just a one-time fun collaboration. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that um, Flying Dog is having fun with right now. Uh, we have other collaborations in the works. And, you know, just, just to have fun. But, again, going back to this experience, I learned a lot from Brian in this process. And, you know, I think that there's not a lot of value, at least personally to me, to get involved with a collaboration if there's not something to gain um, from a learning angle, um, learning aspect. And I think that's extremely important because, um, you know, all the amazing things that Brian is doing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a chef. I'm not a food expert. Um, but when I work with Brian, I can see a little bit into, in, in, into his head and, and just, just a little bit because, I mean, Jesus, like he's got so many different creative things going on. But it really gives me inspiration and shows me um, all of the things that are out there that can be done. And that, that's, that's the value that I take out of it. And I hope that the final product, you know, not only works well, you know, for, for Brian and for the customers. And I'm, I'm very proud of it as well. Any other questions? Thank you. It'll be like Phil Donahue here. Phil Donahue, yeah. yeah. Here you go. <laughs> I had a question for Brian about, um, you talked about uh, the ingredients that brewers are using and the ingredients that, that chefs are using. Mm-hmm. Have you found a use for, like, like, do you use hops? Like, is there, is there like, how, how would you use hops in cooking? No, I, I, I thought about, we actually talked about that the second time we met about Backyard Ale. And, um, and I was really curious. I, I, I want to start exploring that. Um, I, I haven't yet, but I, I know that there's definitely going to be uses. I mean, you know, what I'm thinking right now is actually just accenting braises, like a sachet or something in a, in a low braise, you know, wrapping in some cheesecloth and using to sort of bring that aromatic, um, you know, the, the hoppiness <laughs> into, into a braise, I think would be really cool. Um, I just haven't done that yet, so um, I'm definitely going to start working on something like that. Well, that, that, it, it's, oh. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, it, to some degree, that's great because it, t- it ties into sustainability a little bit. If you can, I mean, mm-hmm. you could almost consider it a waste product, but if you can reuse it, uh, you know, some people make um, bread from spent grain, and yeah, uh, I don't think you want to do 100% spent grain bread, but I mean, there is still good stuff left in that spent grain, and you can use that in a percentage of, uh, you know, your dough with your other flours and whatnot, and come up with something that's uh, very interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Any other questions? Oh, you can just shout if you can. Um, right now, um, because it's hot out and that can go out and grill, it's it's pretty much anything that that has a little bit of smoke on it right now. I mean, you know, I'm I'm kind of leaning towards this right now. This is my, my beer of choice because it's just released, so it's my first time getting experience to go out and, you know, cook and eat with it and, and have fun with it. Uh, so that's what I've been doing a lot now. Um, you know, we, we actually just uh, did a really great event at, at Flying Dog uh, where, you know, we built a pit in a parking lot and just kind of had fun. And then at Volt, we, uh, we spit had, roasted we, some lambs. And we had a permit for the pit, though. <laughs> Yeah, we did. <laughs> did we? Yes. Oh, okay, good. All right, so we built a legal pit in the... Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Thank in, in the parking lot. No, we did. And uh, it, was, it was fun. It was just, you know, what, what I felt, you know, what the beer was inspired to do was, you know, just be, really be an accent to, to fun, great, you know, barbecue. And, uh, and, and so right now I think that's what I'm doing. You know, going into the fall months, though, too, I'm already, like, thinking that far ahead. And, and how, like, the spice notes of, you know, some, you know, deeper, darker beers 
would uh, would really really play well and, and slow braze items. Um, I, I, I'm really looking forward to that right now. It's 92 degrees or something like that right now, so I can't. I, I want to think about it, but you got to start thinking about cold weather, you know. Yeah, right. um, but you know, I'm as as a chef, you're kind of always looking into the next season a little bit just to see what you can, you know, get inspired to do. And uh, I think that'll be the next step. We are going to have to uh, wrap it up here, but I know some of you are still eating, so please take your time. We don't want to rush you through this fine uh, food, but um, we did run a little bit uh, over time. And um, you guys all have some more beer tasting to do. There's a couple beers out there waiting for you, so um, really, really enjoy your evening. Um, Thank you very much to Ben and to Matt and to Brian. This podcast was produced by the Brewers Association and presented by Craft Beer Radio. To find more information on Saver or further podcasts, visit craftbeerradio.com slash saver or craftbeer.com. This content is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.